Welcome once again to Unprofessional. I am Lex Friedman, joined by my best friend and yours, Dave Whiskus. Hi, Dave. Hi, Lex. And today's guest is, uh, you know, perhaps the most exciting guest you could imagine for this show. It is none other than Governor Jesse Ventura. Hello, Governor. How are you? Hi, how are you doing this evening? I'm good. I'm pretty okay, too. Yep, me too. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Sure, no problem. And where are you calling, uh, Where? well, really, where are we calling you today? Where are you? I'm, I'm in Minnesota right now. Oh, very good. So I know that um, one thing that's that's going on, I mean, you're a man who has done many things and who does many things. But, a renaissance uh, man, if you will. <laughs> I will. But uh, I believe you have a new book out now. Is that right? Yeah, uh, well, it's not it's it's not new. It, it it's gone to paperback. It's called right. Democrats and Rebloodlicans, and it subtitled "No More Gangs in Government." And uh, huh. what's the what's the what's the premise of the book? Well, just what it says: "No more gangs in government." It's it's uh, the book is uh, compares the uh, the two parties to the two street gangs, the Crips and the Bloods, and they have a lot of alike comparisons because. They behave just like a street gang, and, and uh, I'm just demanding that uh, these parties be abolished. And if you go, I think, to the second chapter, you'll see that I have uh, pretty good backing of pretty good people with me. Uh, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams all warned us about uh, what political parties could do to the democratic system, but apparently we haven't listened. Well, it's hard to argue with those guys. Well, I mean, you certainly can, but they uh, they created the land, and so I, uh, they have a pretty good idea of what they what they wanted us to be, and I don't think that's it. I remember actually in grade school when you would learn about. I, I guess it was probably junior high school. I remember Mr. Hetrick was my teacher, and he taught us about how George Washington leaves office, says, "Don't create political parties," and then two seconds later, they did. Yeah, just about. You know, it, it came on, and, uh, you know, we've got the political parties now. And their problem is this, uh, and which is like a gang comparison. Loyalty, if you're in the party, has to be to the gang first or to the political party, and then second, most important, is how they make their money or who provides them with their money. We, the country, or the people of the United States might be third. I don't know if something <laughs> else would be ahead of us, but we're certainly not first or second. And that's my call to abolish the parties. And one simple way that it could be done, or, or one huge thing that could be done, and it's very simple, is uh, why do we allow political parties on an election ballot? Just put the candidate's name. That's actually kind of interesting. Yeah, that's well, a good idea. Well, see, the reason being is it's made this way on purpose. It's made so it's convenient and simple for you if you're conservative you don't need to know the candidate's name you just go in and look for republican if you happen to be liberal you don't have to know the candidate's name just go in and look for democrat yeah yeah and, a lot of people vote their party yeah well they 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 vote that way but they don't even know who the candidates are by removing the party names from a ballot that would force the public to have to educate themselves you know who is John Smith and what does John Smith stand for? Parties could still exist, but you change them and make them what they truly are. They're political action committees, the same right. thing. And just turn them into that. They could still endorse. You know, you could get the Democratic Party endorsement uh, uh, the same way you might get a teacher's union endorsement or something else, you know. 
uh, another type of endorsement. But uh, I just think that the, the removal of the political parties would would also uh, make it like when they when they sit in Congress now they sit with their parties. Well, let's change that. Seat them alphabetically, or seat them <laughs> like like, uh, like when I w- was governor. When you go to meet the president, you go in the White House. It's unique how they seat you because you're seated according to when your state entered the union. Oh, that's a great idea. You know, and, and that's what gives from be, and then you work your way back. Or it's around funny the, the see, circle that way, or around the table that way. It's it's all it's like that rather than. The way it's set up now, the left half is this group and the right half is that group. Yeah, the division it kind of makes it feel like the cafeteria in high school. You know what? You know, there's just things that can be done that I think uh, create a better atmosphere for the whole country. And, and uh, like I said, one of them is the destruction of these two political parties because it's party loyalty that comes number one. If you don't follow the party line, that's why you have the stagnation out there. Because anybody out there is afraid to vote off party line. They're and told something... how to vote. The party tells them the way they want them to vote. And these yeah. people telling them how to vote, and that may not be the elected people. Who knows? And there's something of a, uh, an arms race going on there, too. A, a, I don't want to say Cold War because I don't know if it's cold anymore. But the both sides, the Democrats and Republicans, are they become so entrenched in their ideologies respectively everybody's trying so hard to hold their ground that they're not willing to give anything because that's a sign of weakness well it's that and it's also to me shouldn't that be left at the door of the election once yeah. you're ele- you can do all the political stuff you want till the election's over when the election's over you should start making decisions that for the best of the country now not the best of your party right so i mean the responsibility of doing what's best for the for the the country and they don't do that at all and also the fact that look at they're responsible for the shape the country's in they've been in charge now for over 150 years <laughs> so, so I, I let's no, let's imagine the economy for a moment can you imagine if you ran your household the way they've ran the government's money they'd be bag people living on the street <laughs> <laughs> put us so far in debt that grandchildren will still be paying the debts if so, ever. It, it, it's going to go on forever. We'll never be out of debt. The question to me then is... The one's responsible for it, and yet they try to blame us. The problem is this. We have lost sight as a people in this country, and I don't know why, to the fact that the government works for us. We don't work for the government. Right. You're here. Well, let me ask you this, though. Our money that runs the government, therefore, we're the boss. Given that. Sight of that. Given that we are the boss, why do you think it is that it's it's gone on this way so long? Like, what's what are the American? What's wrong with us, basically? What's wrong with the American people at large? Oh, you're asking me now what to be a psychologist or whatever. I'm not sure. <laughs> I laughingly, I laughingly, and maybe maybe not laughingly, tell you it might be the water. <laughs> Well, the reason is is, is uh, fluoride that's required by by federal government makes every city put fluoride in the water, and they've been doing it since the 1950s, allegedly, so we have nice teeth. <laughs> and the point being mostly, fluoride in water was first done, do you know by who? I do not. The Nazis. 
The Nazis were the first people to put fluoride in water, so we learned that from them. Now, here's the big point. You know, when you laugh about it, it may be more serious than you think. I learned this doing, uh, doing my television show. The Nazis were the first to put fluoride in the water, but fluoride is roughly 90% the component of Prozac. Oh, I, I did not know that. If you're drinking fluoridated water through for 20 years, you're drinking liquid Prozac. Well, over the years, it probably stores up in your body, and you, maybe that's why. Interesting. Because what is Prozac doing? Why would the Nazis put Prozac in the water? Well, to obviously calm and docile the people, make them, you know, more sheepish. Right. I can imagine... I Is there a preferred the, filtering system for that? For prefer uh, for fluoride? I don't know. Yeah, if I see what's ironic is not by choice. I just learned this a few years ago, and, and and what's interesting, maybe I am like I am, for whatever reason, not knowing that all the houses I've had in my adult life, I've had my own well. So mm-hmm. I haven't been drinking fluoridated water. So maybe that's why Jesse Ventura questions the government more and why I do what I do, and I don't go along with the status quo. I don't know. You know, it puzzles me. Here's what puzzles me also. Congress has about a 10% approval rating, and yet we reelect them over 90% yes. of all incumbents get back in. That's why when I go to vote, my policy is I don't vote party. I look at who the incumbent is, and I vote against them. Well, and then that's interesting, you know, to do that. But what if it's a good person in there? Well, Some, if it's somebody, somebody, if it, if somebody who does good, the job very well, or you think they do do the job very well? Yeah, in, in cases where I'm educated about the candidate, yeah, absolutely. You know, I understand to be anti-incumbent. That's better than just going along to get along. You know, but uh, again, you look at the situation of the way the whole election and how it all works, and then they've built a system based completely upon bribery. You know, they call it campaign donations, but it's bribery. You know, if you want audience with your representative, you better bring a check that you give them money because you ain't getting any audience. And that's the point. They've sold out. Now, bribery is illegal in the private sector. If I go out and bribe someone in the private sector, I can go to jail paying off someone to do, you know, whatever. In the public sector, it's the status quo. It's how it runs. So imagine people that accept that system. Well, they've got to be somewhat criminal to begin with, with their morals, don't they? They would have to. And I can say that because when I ran for governor of Minnesota, I only raised $300,000. I actually made more money doing the job than I, than I required to get it. Really? And I, and I don't think there's another person in 50 years that can say that. Does that That's does incredible. the three hundred thousand include you know the money you sort of gave yourself? Is that is that all in? I didn't give myself. I didn't spend one nickel of my own money. Wow, that's awesome. That's very cool, actually. Why <laughs> would I spend money to go do a public service job? <laughs> money. That's, I'm with that's you. A good. A good. I point. made that perfectly clear when I ran. I told them the Independence Party of Minnesota. I said I will not spend one nickel of my own money. Now, here's what I did contribute. When I drove all over the state of Minnesota campaigning, I drove my own car and I paid for my own gas. Gotcha. I charge it back against my campaign. And at least... My contribution was I paid for my gas to drive around the state of Minnesota to campaign to become governor. 
Gotcha. Now, I, I heard actually in the news kind of recently, um, and I want to know if, you know, if this is something you're, you're really seriously considering, because to me it makes a lot of sense given, you know, the viewpoints you're espousing here, that you're considering a, a run for president. Well, I, I, maybe, I, I, I just I laid down a challenge because people ask me all the time and many say run, run, run. Well, my view is I need some proof that it's worth it again. You know, I've put myself out there twice as mayor and as governor. And uh, I, to be president, I need some proof that, that the people, it's got to come from them, and plus I don't want to spend a lot of money. I find it obscene, the money spent to get these offices. So I said, here's what it would require. It would require a grassroots movement. I, I would run with no political party, none. The reason being is I think that could win the election because I would offer the people the chance to vote for president for the first time. Uh, George Washington is the only president we've ever had that didn't belong to a political party. And it would give the people in this country the opportunity to make history, to elect someone who does not belong to either of the political parties or any party for that matter. But what would that require? That would require a grassroots movement in every state, and here's what I said it would take, to get me on the ballot in every state, all 50, and then I would need some type of guarantee that I'd be allowed in the debates. Because if you're not allowed in the debates, you have no chance of winning. If you are allowed in the debates, you can win, which I proved in Minnesota. I was polling only 10% at the primary. I was allowed in the debates, and I ended up winning the governorship eight weeks later. So, Lex, as much as I hate to pause this conversation, yes, I think we need to take a minute and, and recognize, acknowledge, thank our sponsors. Dave, our first sponsor today is a first-time sponsor. You know how much I love that. We all do. This is Home Inventory. This is a Mac app that lets you inventory everything in your house. I want to tell you several things about it. Are you ready? I want to hear all of the several things. The latest version, which is version 3, was picked as a Mac App Store editor's choice by Apple. Jesse Ventura probably loves the app. It was called, quote, quick and easy to use by the New York Times, if you believe that rag, and I do. So the app connects to two free iOS helper apps. One connects to home inventory over Wi-Fi, so you can wander around your house, add items, take photos of the stuff in your house, scan barcodes of items without having to be in front of your Mac. And the second app lets you back up the inventory to your iPhone, iPad, iPod, Touch, whatever, so you have it with you whenever you're away from your Mac. So the idea is, if you're like, if you remember me, Dave, I live in New Jersey where we had Hurricane Sandy and several people had homes destroyed. It happens all over the country at horrible times. It happens all over the world at you know bad times. It, it messed up our show once. It did, which was the worst part but home inventory stores all kinds of information about everything you own your photos receipts serial numbers warranties valuables whatever it is so you have it if disaster strikes you can store anything you can even use it to store things like product manuals other files you know uh, repair histories warranty information anything you want to keep track of whether it's you know a life valuable thing or not you can use it for for all kinds of things what i literally have used this app for is home maintenance stuff so i use it to remember when to change the air filters or when to uh, i need to do that (laughs) yeah i use it i have sprinklers so i use it for reminding me not when to winterize my sprinklers but when to call the man who winterizes my sprinklers for me because i don't know how that's useful. Remember when I had to, just a week or so ago, I had to replace my garbage disposal? Yes, yes, I remember that. 
like all this stuff go i actually do like I'm, i know i'm supposed to say this but i actually do need this app yeah it's you do and it's um i mean it's good it's a very well done app apple doesn't feature ugly apps so the two ios helper apps are free and we'll have the links at muleradio.net and at unprofesh.com and then the uh the the full url we want you to go to is machomeinventory.com is that how you say that? Well, so you can say MacHomeInventory.com, but I prefer MachoMeInventory.com. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say I misread it as MachoMeInventory.com the first time, this, but I totally this might did. Be, this might be the second time we've done this. <laughs> this might be take seven. It's true. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's Home Inventory. It's a Mac app. It's got a killer pair of iOS apps to go with it. It is genuinely useful. You will get stuff done, and you will keep track of your belongings. It's really, really good. So check out MachoMeInventory.com or MacHomeInventory.com. <laughs> and thank you so much to Home Inventory, because those are good guys. Of the two, I'm going to Macho Me. Yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah. We, uh, our, our other sponsor <clears throat> is Pocket Informant. Which is a full-featured planner that lets you manage your events, tasks, notes, and contacts all in one place. It works with the iOS events and reminders, which is handy. It also syncs with Google Calendar and tasks and it all, uh, with uh, Toodledoo and Evernote. They, they all integrate together. Uh, you can create custom recurrence rules for events and tasks, like first Thursday of the month, if that's when you have to pay your mortgage or your rent or whatever. Uh, you can create custom task smart filters. And they have natural language text entry. So you can type things like meet Bob for coffee every Friday. Well, so no, what I like is that their example here that they gave us is meet Bob for coffee every Friday at 6 a.m. Believe me, if I had to meet somebody for coffee every Friday at 6 a.m., I would definitely need Pocket Informant to help me do that because I would never do that on my own. You would also need that coffee. But they they support uh, rich text. And there's weather integrated into the calendar as an in-app purchase. And that's actually a pretty cool one to be able to see if you're going to be meeting Bob at 6 a.m. You want to know if it's snowing or raining <laughs> right. or whatever. That Do day. I need an umbrella to get to Bob at this ungodly hour? <laughs> this, this asshole Bob that I've got to meet at 6 a.m. How early do you have to get up to meet Bob? Uh, for how me, 5.50 a.m. Right. I mean, depending on how far away Bob is. This guy, he just sounds like a jerk. Right. How about um, Bob comes to my house and we have hot chocolate at 7 a.m. instead? That's, I would be okay with that. Uh, and and finally on this list uh, is lists, checklists for tasks like grocery shopping. And, of course, you can find out more at pocketinformant.com slash mule radio. And I just want to say, when we give out URLs like these, you know, pocketinformant.com slash mule radio, obviously, you know, a, a wise person listening to the show, as you, dear listener, are, realizes, well, I don't need to keep that last part of the URL. I can just do the short version. I'll Google it later. But when you use our custom URL, that lets the sponsors know that you heard about them from us. And that's, that's good for everybody. We assume that if you're listening to us, you like us. And you want the sponsors to know that you came in because of us. So tell them. So go to machomeinventory.com for, <laughs> for home inventory. And the thing, home inventory, the easy to use app for creating a catalog of your possessions using your Mac. And then you got pocketinformant.com slash mule radio. They sponsor multiple mule shows, which makes them even better. The full feature planner to manage your whole freaking life in one place. Love it. Sounds great. Let's get back to the governor. One question that I have for you, and this I mean this really seriously. Let's let's suppose that each thing happened that had to happen. You know, you got on the ballot in all 50 states. You got a guarantee that you'd be at the debates. You win the election. Yeah. Given what we know about how the modern government works, how much change do you think you can affect given that the rest of, you know, 99% of Congress is still going to be either Republican or Democratic allied? Well, and they're going to be the same old politics. There, I have the experience. What needs to happen there clearly is the people must stick with you. 
and the people must understand that it, that, that they're going to be punished because the Democrats and Republicans would attempt to do that. They would attempt to do that by maybe trying to destroy the economy or do something to where they could try to blame you for doing it. And the people would need to understand, they'd need, they'd need to stay active, because in that position, and I've been there as governor of Minnesota, you must have the people be very loud behind you, because that's what frightens them off. If they know you have the people behind you, then they aren't as aggressive, and they and because they know as each election goes by, then they're going to lose more and more seats, quite possibly, and more and more independent people could be on the horizon and come up. Then, and the public sentiment would be that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've uh, you've gone on record, I think, in the past as saying that you think that your your religious views might preclude you from. That level of office. Oh yeah, certainly. That would be because I've come out and I've admitted I'm an atheist, which and, we definitely support here. We're very and, and, and in this country, that's probably not a good thing to do politically. But my belief is that honesty is by far the most important thing with the public, and I'm not going to deceive them and tell them that I believe that there's a supreme being because I do not anymore. Now, could I change my mind? Certainly. Uh, the day I see one shred of evidence, <laughs> you know, when it's not just someone's belief or someone's hope that that this exists. When I see reality, like I, I laughingly tell people I follow the teachings of George Carlin, uh, <laughs> the comedian. Sure, yeah. yeah. Brilliant man, and unfortunately George died. He was a voice we needed. We needed him badly. And... Uh, uh, George used to, he was an atheist, and George used to always say he worshipped the sun. And he said, why? Because the sun gives me everything I need. It gives me warmth. It grows my food. It gives me light. It does everything. And he said, most of all, every morning I can get up and see it rise in the sky in the east. Because I can see it, it gives it great credibility. Yeah, and and that's basically the position I take. Until... Until there is some proof that there's God at this point in my life, I'm not buying. And it shouldn't preclude you, because there's supposed to be a separation of church and state. But unfortunately, we've lost sight of that. And so, yeah, it could beat me in the election, but, you know, I don't care. I would rather have honesty and lose than to be dishonest and win. Now, we're seeing, I think, a lot more atheists coming out of the closet, especially younger generation. It's becoming more and more socially acceptable to be an atheist. I'm not saying that it is socially acceptable, but I think we're making a lot of progress. Do you think that that might impact uh, someone's ability to be elected to the oh, president? Certainly it could. Certainly it could. Absolutely it could. I mean, when more and more, just as, just as today, the, a, a gay lifestyle is much more accepted. I mean, it's remarkable what's happened in the last 10 to 20 years for gay people. You know, they're being accepted, and that, again, that started with young people. Young people at college age and all that started realizing you don't choose to be gay, you're born gay. You know, I I find it laughable when people say someone would choose to be gay. Well, why would you choose to be ridiculed and looked down upon by society, which is what you were? Who right. make that choice? And then it's even simpler than that. At what point did you make the decision? I mean, what, at 16, you, 15, you sat down and you thought, gee, it's time for me to make a hard decision now. Am <laughs> I going to be gay or am I going to be hetero? 
Right. Well, there was that video that somebody did where they were asking the question, do you think that people choose to be gay? And whenever somebody would say yes, the follow-up question was, when did you choose to be straight? Exactly. And the reaction was always, oh, uh, I guess I didn't. Good yeah, exactly. You don't choose it. Your body tells you. Every gay yeah, friend does. I've ever had, and I'm hetero, but every friend I've ever known who's gay, I, I once I get to know them well enough, I always ask them that. I, I say, you know, you always hear this, did you choose to be gay? They burst out laughing. <laughs> no, not a bit. Uh, and, and you know, and I believe them because I didn't choose to be hetero. Right. You know, one thing that's interesting to me is, you know, we t the terms that you've used, and I think you're not alone, Governor, but, you know, what you, you, said, you talk about coming out as gay or that you said, or, sorry, coming out as an atheist. And earlier <laughs> you said that you were, you know, you were willing to admit that you're an atheist. And, you know, I think today we would tell folks who are coming out as gay that it's nothing to be, you know, that they don't, there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. And there's no guilt or anything else involved. But I think that all three of us, when we refer to our atheism, sometimes couch it in those terms, you know, like I'm willing to admit that I'm an atheist or I'm coming out as an atheist, which I think still belies a, a potential sense of not not that we're ashamed of our beliefs or lack of belief, but that that there's some sort of, that even though we're, we're very confident in our beliefs, that there's some sort of societal pressure that makes one feel guilty that you are an atheist. Yeah, it's still a very and religious country. Well, and it's also a feeling of wanting to be accepted. Right. I think that's right. You know, because, because I find that all religious people sometimes are, not all, but many religious people are arrogant. They have a bit of arrogance. Of, of, I would say all. <laughs> I you because I'm closer to the creator. Or this, you know, and, and, and I'm fine. You know, Holier than but that. there isn't one. <laughs> in my opinion, you know, like I'm waiting. Uh, one of the things I want to do on vacation, you know that, you know that uh, museum down in Kentucky or whatever, the Creation Museum. Yeah, yeah. Where they where they've got the uh, humans with the dinosaurs. <laughs> I want to go down there and you know, what I'm going to do? I'm going to walk in and I want to look at it and saw that, and I'm going to say right out loud, "Oh my God." The Flintstones was a documentary. <laughs> you know, because I, I mean, be how that. can they possibly? No scientific evidence indicates we were alive when the dinosaurs were. None, and yet they want us to. The creationists want to believe we were and tell everyone we were. Well, you know, you know uh, the, any any evidence to the contrary is just God testing us. Well, <laughs> and, and really, my simple belief on that is, in, pr in primitive times, is it was a great it, it was a great way to explain things. As you didn't understand things, it was simple to just then attribute anything to God. That's exactly what I teach my kids. Yeah, that you don't <laughs> understand, it's easy. Then you attribute, well, God did this. No, seriously, that's that, well, I teach my kids that that's why it happens that way. As we learn more and become more educated, all of a sudden we find out, no, God didn't make lightning. No, God doesn't make thunder. We're able to explain what does. And to me, that right there, God is simply an excuse for ignorance of what we don't know. We can attribute it and, and feel comfortable then. So my kids right. know that As they were born into by, a Jewish the family. Of things that we understand increases. Not sure, increase. absolutely. The, the longer man's on the planet, the smarter we get towards everything. Well, I mean, and I, and I chuckle too, and that we're off on this tangent, we shouldn't be, but the, in creation, I mean, they want me to believe that the world started with man, woman, and a talking snake. 
<laughs> you know, I, I live in the Baja all winter long, and I run into snakes down there, and there ain't none of them ever spoke to me. I, I think the quickest way to become an atheist is to read the Bible. <laughs> I, I um, you know, it's and it's you know, I, I grew up Jewish. I grew up very observantly Jewish, and you know, my kids. I, you know, so I have, I have three kids, and I teach them. They they know about Judaism. They know that they are born into a Jewish family, but I teach them. You know when. You know, our ancestors were trying to figure things out. They did the best they could, and they made up a lot of stories. And that's how they sort of explain things, just like you were saying. And now it's much more remarkable. It's so much cooler to know that there are scientific, measurable, quantifiable explanations for why things are the way we are and how we got here and what came before us. And it's it's magical, not in the same sense that, you know, a mythical guy in heaven watching all of us is magical, but it's magical in its own very cool, very fascinating way. And so it's we understand why people used to believe the crazy things they believe. And now we're so lucky because we have scientists who figured out the actual answers, and that's much, much cooler. Throughout history, every advanced civilization has developed their own mythology. And I don't it's, – it's crazy to me to think that an advanced civilization such as ours at this point in history, to have all of that history to look back at – wouldn't be able to recognize that we're doing the exact same thing. Yeah, well, the, it, as you said, the old cliche, if you don't read history, you're destined to repeat it. Yeah. What troubles me now, we're repeating it within decades. Yeah. That's how little we're studying history. We're repeating it within decades now, not even lifetimes. I've, I, I mean, I'm so ashamed today. I'm the Vietnam generation. And we should have learned from Vietnam, and yet now here we are in Afghanistan and Iraq, you know, and that's my generation. I'm ashamed of it. And I'm assuming that the connection there you're suggesting is systemic and not necessarily a conspiracy. Yeah, well, I'm saying that it just seems that that the country, like I look at the country, and I'm 61 now, born in 51, We've been at war, if you count the war on drugs, which is a war. Uh, ask the Mexicans, where 20, 30,000 of them have died in it. Uh, we've been at war my whole life. Wow, yeah, yeah. Think about it. We, we've been at war. Why? That's what I'm asking today. Why? Why are we constantly at war? Why do we, why does there need to be a war going on and us fighting it continuously? And, when you're in uh, a state of war, if you're in a state of conflict, it's easier to pull people together, rally behind a cause. Sure, that may be true, but why do we need that? Why not? Why aren't we trying rallying for peace for a change? Yeah, right. I don't think and enough of this stuff. Uh, you know, and to me, I, I would close all our military bases. I would bring all our young men and women back to the country. I would, I would follow the the policies of Major General Smedley Darlington Butler, if you've ever heard of him. <laughs> who he is? No, no. Uh, well, he's educators. not taught to you. Uh, he's a former Marine. He won two Congressional Medals of Honor. He died in 1941. He served almost a century ago. And he wrote the most, this two-time Congressional Medal of Honor winner wrote the most anti-war book you'll ever read. It's called War is a Racket. And a hundred years ago, he was talking about how he didn't serve the American people. He served the United Fruit Corporation. Whenever they would go into Central or South America, if they didn't get cooperation, they'd send in the Marines to get it. So imagine that. 
that nothing has changed. Our military is still fighting for corporate interests throughout the world, not for the people of America. I agree. I think I think the, these wars are used as control both overseas and locally. I think that uh, no, they're used for money. Well, and yes, and there's, there's... if you read General Butler's book, he will tell you the only way to stop war is to take the profitability out of it. Oh, I agree. There's no money in peace. If there's no money to be made at war, then we will then war will end. So let me ask you. I'll finish on this topic with a quote from Jimi Hendrix, if I may. <laughs> sure. Please. Jimi Hendrix said, "When the power of love overtakes the love of power, then we'll have peace." Yeah. Words to live by. Now, um, I, I think that's one of the greatest sayings I've ever heard. When the power of love overtakes the love of power, then we'll have peace. And Jimmy said that at the end of the Vietnam War, at the latter part of the Vietnam War. I hear you. Well, I want to I want to shift gears a little bit. So, but you've been, uh, you know, you've had many, many jobs in your life, right? You were in the Navy, you were a professional wrestler, you were, you've been a TV commentator, talk show host, an actor, a politician, and an author. So, which, I I guess I have a two-part question. Which of all those past jobs of yours was the most fun? And then when you're not actively doing some kind of work, what do you actually do for fun? How how does does Governor Ventura unwind? Well, first of all, I'll give you, I got to give you a political answer on the first one, all of them. Uh, because they were all at different parts of my life. So at the time that I do all these jobs, these different careers, they were fun and they were the most important thing I'm doing at that time. I'm, uh, being that you know now that I'm an atheist, and it's clear, I don't want to get to, say, 80 years old if I'm fortunate enough to live that long and say, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, because I believe you only go around once, and I don't necessarily believe there's this place in the sky with harps that you go to. And uh, uh, although if I did, I was asked one time. They said if if there if you went to heaven, what would be the one word you'd like to hear? And this will tie into my the second part of your question real well. Um, if I if there was a heaven, and if I managed to get there. The one word I would love to hear, I would love to hear someone yell out for, because my my passion to unwind today is golf. I'm a golf addict. I'm hooked on the game. I would play every day damn near if I could. And, uh, and so, you know, if the, if there's heaven, I certainly hope there's Augusta national up there that I can belong. (laughs) Well, it's funny. I have plenty of friends around uh, where I live who golf and who want me to golf. And I've always been, I've never actually gone. I've I've only done the miniature variety with which you may be familiar, but what do you think is, (laughs) what do you need to do to, to, you know, how does one who's never done it? What, what's the appeal? How do you get into it? How do you get somebody who hasn't done it? Get started. Appeal is simple. If you're a competitive person, which I am, it's the only game you can be competitive at in old age. That is really That's not true. They're shuffleboard. <laughs> you, know, you get what I mean, though. I'm a competitive person, and I need to compete with myself physically and mentally. Oh, that's it. That's and, and interesting. I like to, and and and, the, and it's the I can't play basketball no more. I'm certainly not going to play football now. I'm 61, but I can play golf. And so, really, that's the appeal of it. Is it, it, it satisfies my competitive juices, and they also have a, a, a system of handicap to where I could go play Tiger Woods, 
and we could have a competitive game because he'd have to give me so many strokes per hole. And if he had an off day, I could beat him if I had a good day with the competitive system. Now, could I beat him straight up? Absolutely not. He's the best in the world. Right. But, but if I had a great day and he had one of those days he had last week where he <laughs> shot 79, hell yeah, I could beat him on a good day. <laughs> so, so, I mean, all the more reason soundly, to run for president. I beat him soundly with the handicap system. He'd owe me a lot of money if we were betting. And by the <laughs> way, I do not gamble at golf. I don't need to. It's the course. Do you gamble at anything? Uh, not, not, no, not really. If you were I to play, gamble, I would your money power, be on you? I play or the course? Powerball every now and then. Oh, yeah? For me, my rule is if it's over $300 million, I play. Well, I'll play it when it's at <laughs> 50 or 100, you know, I could retire on that. I feel like Wait. I would burn through 50 or 100 too fast. <laughs> are we talking about are we talking about golf or powerball? I'd play golf for 300 million. 